Judges 4 and 5, which is the story of Deborah and that other guy. Who's the other guy? Barak? Yeah, yeah. This uh, is it's a nice, neat, satisfying ABCCBA pattern here. The people of Israel oppressed. Deborah the prophetess. Barak and Sisera call out. They start the battle. Then there's a rise up call. And then Barak and Sisera go down. And then Jael, the wife of Heber, and then the king of Canaan is subdued. So it's a nice, neat uh, uh, chapter, chapter 4. A lot of information in chapter 5 that supplants this. Um, I, I've called this the Battle of Mount Tabor. I've also called this the Battle of the Thunderstorm. I think it probably suits better if we call it the Battle of the Thunderstorm. Uh, based on what Deborah says in her song in chapter 5. That's where we have the most details. In chapter 4, it's the facts. In chapter 5, it's the poem. But a lot of interesting details in chapter 5 about this. So, beginning in chapter 4, after Ehud died, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a Canaanite king who reigned in Hazor. Uh, Hazor is uh, north of the, can you see it, north of the Sea of Galilee there, the top of the map. Um, Hazor, uh, Professor Brug has done some excavations at Hazor. My son Peter visited it about two weeks ago. Um, but, and that, that little lake at the very top that looks like it has uh, hair is Lake Hule. That lake is not there anymore. The, no. They thought it would be wise to take the source of the Jordan River and to fill it in to build a golf course. So anyway. Uh, so the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Heresheth Hagoyim. Hagoyim means of the Gentiles. So Heresheth of the Gentiles. Then the people of Israel cried to the Lord for help since he had 900 iron chariots, battle wagons. What would we call them today? Tanks or drones or except they weren't unmanned or whatever. He oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Did you know that the United States Army is now training kids to be drone operators. It's a whole new, whole new world. Whole new world. How do you stop iron chariots? The Lord just used mud. Battle of the thunderstorm. Okay. This is Hazor from above. This is the exca excavation. It's right next to a major highway. Uh, but uh, a road leading right through it, uh, uh, the various ruins. I could have given you a lot more on Hazor. We have diagrams and pictures and so forth, but it plays such a small part in today's story that I'm not going to. Um, but I will tell you about this. This is one of the Amarna tablets. This is a piece of clay about the size of an eraser. Okay, maybe a little bit bigger but a small, it's a letter uh, from a king. This particular king was uh, 
uh, complaining that the ruler of Hazor had captured three of his cities. The king was, the ruler was from Ashtaroth up north, and he's writing to the pharaoh of Egypt. At this time, the pharaoh of Egypt was very probably the most fair, famous Egyptian pharaoh of all time. King Tut. Yeah. Young man. Uh, ruled with his sister. Uh, dad had died and left him uh, in charge there. Come on in, Brenda. There's a place somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, but the, there are many, many of these Amarna letters. Um, and in fact, until the Amarna letters were discovered, many things in the Bible were questioned. But then this gigantic library of, of these things, they're all written in cuneiform. Um, this is letter 364. I labeled it for you there in the photograph. And if you want to look it up, you can look up letter 364 online later and read it in English if you like. I'm not going to say it'll be perfect modern English. It might be, you know, 1920 English, but it'll be there. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. Um, so, remember that the conclusion of the book of Judges is that everyone did as he saw fit. Um, the, the people now were looking for anybody who was a capable leader, anybody with wisdom, who can be a leader for us. And there was no guy around and they turned to Deborah, this woman. Um, she's one of a couple of prophetesses mentioned in the Bible. Miriam, who wrote a song, Moses' sister, is called a prophetess in uh, Exodus 15.20. Um, there is a woman named Huldah in the book of Kings, 2 Kings 22, who is known as a prophetess. In Luke 2, Anna is called a prophetess, um, looking forward to the coming of the Christ child. In the book of Acts, Philip had four daughters who were also all called prophetesses, so the daughters of Philip. There are some Corinthian women who were prophesying in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. There are two false prophetesses in the Bible, Revelation calls a woman in the end times whose name uh, Revelation gives as Jezebel is a prophetess, never a nice name. I had a family member who named their daughter Isabel and I made the mistake of asking if she was named after Jezebel in the Bible. I should have kept my mouth shut. Jezebel means woman of Baal, no matter how you try to churn that out somehow differently, but uh, Jezebel. And to their, I, I'm gonna, just going to defend my family member because everybody loves my sister, Nola, whose nickname is Bell. And they were looking for a way to name their daughter after Aunt Nola, Nola Bell. So Isabel was the name. And they, everybody calls her Bell. The, the daughter now too but sometimes a preacher doesn't know when to shut up and luther said step up speak up and then shut up so you got to remember to do that third one sometimes there's also a woman in the book of nehemiah named noadiah who is called a false prophetess after the exile i don't know much about her um, although i have studied and taught in, in, in nehemiah and we're going to teach nehemiah again right after second timothy coming up here on sunday mornings in a quick little four-part study. Um, would anybody like to take a week of, of uh, 
Brad, John, Paul, anybody want to take a week of, uh, never mind, I'll talk later. Okay. All right. Deborah regularly sat under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. Rachel weeping for her children in Ramah. Where does that prophecy come from? Remember the circumstances at least? That's the slaughter of the innocents. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the hill country of Ephraim. This is from where uh, uh, Jeremiah the prophet had grown up in this area. People of Israel were, went up to her for judgment. So she had a big palm tree and it was so famous that it became known as the palm of Deborah. So don't cut that one down. That's the palm of Deborah. You know, after a while. She summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh and Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor. Kedesh and Naphtali is up near where Hazor is, um, on the way up there. So it was close by. He was a good guy to select for this. Take 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. She's quoting the Lord. 10,000 men from two tribes. That'd be 5,000 guys from each tribe. It's not a huge army allotment from each of those tribes, but it's a fair number of soldiers. Or militia, maybe I should call them. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. This is Barak famously being what? <laughs> Did you say chicken or what? Wimp. Wimp. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he really should have gone. He should have just taken uh, this, but Barak is unwilling to go with her. Um, and just to uh, give you a little bit, I should have done a better job with this, but Hazor up north, Mount Tabor, um, kind of on the, uh, on, the, on the outskirts of the Sea of Galilee. It is a mountain, my son tells me, shaped like an open parachute. Does that give you the, like a perfect... And I really love that description because all the old commentaries used a different word I was afraid to use in the pulpit. And, open, and an open parachute is just a perfect alternate word, right? Thank you, Peter. I'm, so, uh, it's well worth the investment I made in sending him over there. The river Kaishan is in the dark blue. Uh, it flows north uh, from the hill country up to the Mediterranean Sea empties out on the north side of Mount Carmel. That the only interesting thing about the geography of the coastline of Israel is Mount Carmel that sticks out in the sea. Otherwise, it's just a flat line, you know, shaped like a slash mark. It just has nothing of interest at all. And then Herosheth Hagoyim is uh, a, a large city that's on the um, on the Kaishan. I have the air. I have the red line stopping too far short. It should be on the other side, on the north side of the river uh, Kaishan. And the Kaishan at certain times of year would be nothing much more than a gulch. It is a wadi or a, we would call it a gulch, right? A riverbed that gets filled up only by rain and melting snow and stuff. 
Um, did you say a wash? Sure, lots of different names for it. Um, excellent. Um, and, uh, and so, I will surely go with you, she said, but the road you are taking will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will, tell, will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Does Deborah mean that it's going to be her? Does it kind of sound like it? But it won't be Deborah either. So it'll be somebody else. Then Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. 10,000 men followed him and Deborah went with him as well. Now, the, I have a map telling you where, the, where these marches are and so forth. But let's get to Heber the Kenite. Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. Hobab might not have been the father-in-law of Moses, but rather the brother-in-law of Moses. There is a question about this because everybody knows that Moses' father-in-law was actually Jethro, also known as He was a Midianite, but he had another name besides Jethro. Anybody remember? Rule. Rule. Yeah. The Jethro name may have actually been his title. The Jether is like the commander or something like that, or the prince. But Rule was probably his name. Hobab is listed as one of his sons. So it seems here like, like the, our author has a little in-law mistake, but an in-law of Moses. And he had pitched his tent far away from, as far away from as the oak of Zeananim, which is near Kedesh. Do any of you know the story of Wilmer McLean in the Civil War? Wilmer McLean moved during the Civil War because he, 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 his family lived at Manassas, Bull Run. And after the Battle of Bull Run of First Manassas, Wilmer McLean said, I am sick of this. I am moving as far away as I can. He packed up his family and moved to Appomattox Courthouse. So he could rightly say that the Civil War started in his front lawn and ended in his front parlor. It was in his house that Lee surrendered, surrendered to Grant um, five years later. So uh, the poor guy. But Hobab the Kenite kind of does the same thing. He is sick and tired of this king of Hazor and of being, by the way, he's on the front line of being taxed by this foreign king who's oppressing everybody. And he says, I'm loading up the truck and move to Beverly. So he gets out of there. And uh, it's a different song I have in mind. And uh, he moves to this oak in Zeananim uh, near Kadesh. So he's there, not that far from where the battle's going to take place. And uh, when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Heresheth Hagoyim to the river Kaishan. So everybody who's there who is uh, under the rule of, um, of the king is now under the orders of Sisera the commander 900 iron chariots 
uh, these things would have been terrifying. To pull an iron chariot, I'm guessing, would take a minimum of two horses and maybe more. So you've got these big old battle wagons and guys. And these are not little Egyptian one-guy chariots. You know, an iron chariot would have a driver, a commander, maybe two spear throwers. Um, this is a heavily armed, dangerous machine. Um, and uh, just the weight of the thing. And by the way, about this time, I mentioned King Tut, right? King Tut was killed in battle. But does anybody know the story? They've, they've, uh, 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 PBS uh, uh, showed this on Nova once. Uh, uh, it was originally thought that he was killed in battle somehow, stepped on. It turns out after a post-mortem of his chest, the Egyptians allowed him to be x-rayed. He was crushed by a chariot wheel. And it seems like it was his own chariot, uh, the one he was buried with. Uh, it was the king's chariot. That, that, that What they've worked out that may well have happened is that uh, he was fighting. Egyptian chariots had holes cut in them uh, for, uh, to, to, to make them lighter. Um, and for air to pass through and so forth, it would have been a, basically a one or maybe a two-man chariot, a driver, and in this case, the king with his bow and arrow or spear. And it seems as, and a one-horse deal. Seems as if the king maybe got hit, possibly with a spear or something, and fell out of the back of the chariot. Well, the, the, the king just fell out. What would the driver do? The driver would, well, you're in a battle, he probably, it's, it's hard to, he probably would have done a circle. So he was circling around. The king got up on his knees, turned around just in time to be run over by his own chariot. Um, uh, and, but that, that would, that, and the chariot is also damaged in such a way that it seems like that's maybe exactly what happened. Um, but that would have been near this time, but down in Egypt, wherever, wherever Tut was fighting. But, um, Getting run over by an iron chariot would be a completely different matter. You know, that's, uh, what are those fearsome vehicles? You see them at this time of year, those farm implements that are twice as tall as my van. I feel like I could drive under the thing when I meet them on the, what is that? A sprayer? Yeah, I, I uh, imagine that thing pulled by, say, 20 horses. And guys throwing spears out of it or something like that. And, and uh, to get run over by one of those things. Um, so, uh, but um, fearsome, fearsome things. All right. Deborah said to Barak, rise up for this is the day when the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? This is the only, or the, I'll call it the first hint in the text that the Lord was going out before them, maybe physically, with the beginning of this storm. So Deborah's going to talk about it some more in chapter 5, but maybe this storm is already raging, coming down out of the mountains. How do, how do storms form quickly in the summertime? It's the same no matter what. It's cold air and warm air mixing, right? And, uh, and down it comes. So... Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. 
So this is the pattern of the battle, if you just look at the screen for a moment. So Sisera's army sets out and comes around, and then Barak's army sets out from uh, where they had been, up past there, down to Mount Tabor, and the battle happens. Um, and however, the army of the, of, of, of the Canaanites is caught on the plain as the Kaishan overflows its banks, um, maybe miles, but the, 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 the land becomes completely soaked. And whether there's standing water or not, if it's muddy, if it's wet, the iron chariots can't go very far. The horses will begin to slip and so forth. And now you're, I mean, if you were, if you were plowing, yeah, you could get out and lead your horse, but you're not, you're fighting. So uh, it's a, a, a bad day for the Canaanites. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak at the edge of the sword. And Sisera jumped down from his chariot and fled away on foot. What direction would Sisera have gone? Left, right, up, down. Actually, uh, Sisera is a good commander and knows how to deceive the enemy, he's going to go north um, through enemy territory. But his king is up north. So he could have gone back the way he came, but the army is devastated. I mean, he would have gone back to where his supplies came from, but there's nothing else there. But he instead is going to go north. So... Barak pursued the chariots. Is this where I am? Yeah, 16. Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Herosheth Agoyim. They're heading uh, kind of left or west and south a little bit. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera has broken through and is behind enemy lines, but the enemy is going the other way. Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there were friendly relations between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the clan of Heber the Kenite. So Sisera's flight is to go this way, and he goes a little bit north to find this community. However, the guy had moved because he didn't like being there. So good relations between the clan and good relations between the man are two different things, aren't they? So whatever happens, J.L., the woman, does not do what Sisera anticipated he would do. But come on in. J.L. went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she put a covering over him. So she... She puts a blanket over him. Why? Well, he's exhausted and maybe to help him think he's being hidden. Those two things come to mind right away. Um, also, if it's a thunderstorm, is it maybe cold? Maybe. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. Does she give him water? No, she gives him milk to drink. Uh, she gave him a drink and covered him up. What does milk do at Betty by time? 
brings on the sleepies, right? Yeah. By the way, in the poetic section, we're going to read that it was cheese she gave him that he drank. Drinkable cheese is not all that delightful to our way of thinking. Um, so maybe curdled milk, but a skin of milk. Um, I'm just going to say that, if you don't mind. Um, that's the skin of milk I would prefer to be given. Um, Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here? Say, no. Those are his last words, and they are a lie. Yeah, I have more to say about that. Because I, it just it struck me. I have 16 comparisons at the end between Christ and Sisera and their deaths. So it's just, uh, sometimes there are fascinating exercises where you can, how different can these men possibly be? Pretty different. Um, you know, they both died with an unusual drink and, and, and on and on and on and so forth. All right. But Jael, Heber's wife, you know the story, or, or do you not know the story? She picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep exhausted how asleep was he he was fast asleep because he was exhausted she drove the peg through the through his temple into the ground and he died so how far into the tent peg go all the way through you know after the first tap she had time to work it work it down you know um, the, the, the detail, though, that she kept going until it hit the ground is a fascinating testimony to, to, to this woman. You may notice I left the milk jug there in the picture. So, okay. The, well, he finished it, so, yeah. Barak came in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said. He said, don't, don't tell anybody I'm here. And she's like, come on in. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. Doesn't she look kindly yeah. and sublime? Yeah. Sweet. yeah. That, by the way, uh, jail killing Sisera is a very popular um, subject in the Renaissance artwork. Very, very popular. I'm almost surprised we don't have it as a stained glass window. It's so very common. Um, this painting, I have this artist written down somewhere um, in my notes. But this is not Caravaggio, but it's a, this is an Italian in the 1400s. So... Um, uh, it's one of the nicest of the pictures <laughs> because her body is more covered than in most of the pictures. Oh so I thought I would do you a favor and me and because she has a nice blouse. So. She, so he went in with her and there lay Sisera with a Ted Pank through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him. So 
this battle ran into other battles until finally Jabin, the Canaanite king, is destroyed. He's overthrown. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.